0: Take your Bibles and turn to the the book of Acts right after the Gospels. I think some of your Bibles are probably falling right open to Acts now uh, with uh, the amount of time that we've been in this book. Acts 17, starting in verse 16, is where we will be today. You'll see uh, some notes in your bulletin that you can follow along with if you're into writing things down. I'd encourage you, if you haven't been with us, uh, that you'd take some time to read around the context and the previous verses uh, to to just get an understanding of of what's taking place. Remember Paul and and Silas and. Uh, and Luke and others are on the second missionary journey, and they're making their way through the towns and, and the different ones that they have towns that they have been to Thessalonica and Berea, and uh, we talked about the Bereans a couple of weeks ago when we met together. And now we pick it up in verse sixteen, where they had to leave uh, Thessalonica. No, they had to leave Berea because the Thessalonians came and and were stirring up trouble, and so Paul went by himself at this point. And he went to Athens and then he asked that uh, the rest of the team would come and join him soon. So that's sort of the context of where we pick it up in verse 16. We'll look at those verses in just a moment. But I want us to contemplate this subject in the title of the message, A High View of God. What does that even mean to have a high view of God? I don't want us to get caught up in uh, deep theology necessarily today, although there isn't anything uh, innately wrong with that as long as it can be applied to our lives. But let me just ask you this question as we begin. You came here, and I'm assuming with the understanding that as you walk through the doors of the church that you would probably hear something about God. The question that we must answer is, what is our view of God? So, let me just ask you, in a very, in a very personal way, if there was no uh, condemnation, if there was no um, negative reaction, and you could just say whatever you truly in your heart of heart think, uh, think about God, what would you say? What is your view of God? What comes to your mind? Maybe your experience through your life, maybe the way that you were raised, maybe the things that you have had to go through in your life, those things usually shape, at least to some extent, our view of who God is. But as we gather together in this setting And as we open the truth of God's living and inspired Word, we must come to this understanding that no matter our background, no matter our experience, no matter what we've gone through, what God has allowed us to go through, no matter what our view right now is of God, it must go back, it must be shaped, it must have the foundation of the truth of what God has said about Himself. And this is where we as human beings really get messed up. That we have, for any number of reasons, because of experience, because of pain, because of other teachers, our parents, whatever it is, we have come to these conclusions about who God is, and it doesn't agree at all with the Bible. So who's right? What, what the conclusions they We have come to personally, or what God has said about Himself in His revelation to us, the Bible. So your view of God today may be a a view of someone that is loving, someone that is personal, which is both accurate from the Word of God. Maybe your view today is someone that is mean and vengeful, someone that is distant and, and really doesn't care. a high view of God comes from the Holy Spirit revealing Himself to us through the Bible and those who faithfully and accurately communicate the Bible to us. And so I want us to consider a couple verses, and I think they're on the screen on this next page. I want want us to look at Isaiah 57 and then another passage in Isaiah that talks about the perspective that we should have about God. Look Look at this verse. God is high and lifted up. He lives forever. His name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with people who are humble and sorry for their sins. I will give new life to those who are humble in spirit, and I will give new life to those who are sorry for their sins." We see the contrast, we see the the distinction between God being so high above His creation and yet He wants to engage and be connected with His creation as well. And so we see this beauty of who God is. Going back to Isaiah 6 and verses 1 through 3, this was the vision that Isaiah received early on when God called him to serve Him. This is what Isaiah wrote down in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of His robe filled the temple, and above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Do we have that kind of a view of God? I pray that if nothing else today, that we would leave with those thoughts, with that vision on our minds and in our hearts, and that it would shape how we live our lives. And I want us to connect to this one thought today as we think about this passage here as Paul is preaching to the people in Athens. Our view of God will shape our outlook on life. So whether you have a high view or a low view or somewhere in between, our view of God will shape our outlook on life, our interaction with others, and our attitude towards God Himself. I want you to think about that. The way that you think about God affects everything. Your outlook on life, how you talk and interact with others... And your attitude towards God Himself. So with that in mind, I want to read, starting in verse 16. Follow along. Acts 17, in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols. All the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. And he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and His resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Verse 19, when they took him him to the high council of the city and come and tell us about this new teaching, they said, You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what this is all about. And it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious in every way, for for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of the altars had this inscription on it, "...to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I am telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, and He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need." From one man He created all the nations throughout the whole world earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and He determines their boundaries. His purpose was from, for the nations to seek after God, and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, and some of your own poets have said, We are His offspring." And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. In verse 30, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has a day set for judging the world with justice by the man he has approved. He has appointed any and he proved to everyone who this one was by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speaking about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would give us insight. Help us to see the difference between who you are and what we have often made you in our own imaginings. God, I pray that your spirit would go before us and give us clarity. Help us to see what we need to see, God. Help us to see our own hearts, and God, help us to be exposed to the lies that maybe we ourselves are believing about you. And Lord, in your grace, would you correct us, and that we would go away with having a clearer, higher view of you. We pray all these things in your Son's glorious name. Amen. So as we begin, as we look at this passage, I'll just say right up front, um, we're not going to make it through this entire passage today, but I wanted to start with just this, this perspective of man's distorted view of of, of God. And so the distorted view of mankind is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. And, and, and I really hesitated just doing that this morning. And so prayerfully, God will, God will use this uh, in, in the way that He desires because this is really, I don't ever want to just focus on the negative and not the beauty of who God is, right? I don't, I don't want to just go away and say, well, this is the rottenness of mankind, and so enjoy that, see you next week. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to just go there, and so let me, just, let me just start with that understanding that even though this morning we're going to focus mostly on the negative, um, distorted views that mankind has that are described here uh, through the Athenians... I want us to go away with the the context of of this entire passage, which is Paul preaching the beauty and the majesty and the, the highness and the glory and the holiness of God. And I want us to go away with that. I want you to go away with... Verse 24 and and following, ringing in your ears and meditating and chewing on this throughout the week as as you go. As you see the contrast in man's wrong view, I want you to always go back to God's uh, uh, amazing qualities and attributes. So look at verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, man doesn't serve Him in temples. Man uh, can't meet His His needs. He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need and goes on and on about the attributes of God. That is what we need to go away with. That's the conclusion that we need to come to, to have a high view of God. Now, in order to do that, in my opinion, and based upon the context of how Paul presented this and preached this, I'm going I'm to go a little bit different, but... I want to start with the wrong view so that we can get to the fact that we need a right view and then come to that conclusion, okay? We can't come to the right view without coming to an understanding of who God is. Man's view of God, apart from the revelation of God, and, and I'll refer to that a couple different times, but I want you to understand that that God's revelation of Himself is twofold. Number one, it is in the revealed, inspired truth of God's Word, the Bible. God has chosen to reveal Himself through this book. He inspired over 40 different authors to write this down, and it's trustworthy. And there's... There's copies of copies of copies, and you go to any other document that has ever been written. This by far not even compares to any other document as far as its trustworthiness, its veracity. We can lean on it. We can trust it. It is truth, and it is alive, because it is God's inspired Word. The other component of God's revelation to us is Jesus, His one and only Son. Jesus came and He revealed God to us in the flesh. God's revealed Word reveals who His Son is. He tells us of our need for Him. And so those are the things that we need to come to. But and apart from man's view of, of having a clear perspective of God from His revelation, we come up with all kinds of weird ideas some of you were raised in Christian homes. Some of you, maybe early on, came to a more accurate understanding of God and, and having a right view of God. I was raised in a Christian home. And so that's pretty much what I knew uh, from birth on. Uh, God had to work in my own heart because I was... Just because you're born into a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Did you guys know that? <laughs> if you didn't know that, you need to know that. Um, in fact, I, well, I won't go there, but... Uh, not All that to say, I need a Jesus. I need to be saved from my sin. We all do. But I want us to understand there's such a, a distortion that we come up with apart from God, whether we have a Christian home upbringing or or a godless upbringing, all of us find ourselves in this same state of of having a wrong view of God. So I want us to look at this distorted view of mankind as as Paul goes into Athens here. Athens was a center of of culture, of education, of politics, of of commerce. And it it was just a, a wonderful place to go for years and years. And at this time, as Paul was going to Athens, it was still strong, but it was nowhere near at its pinnacle. It was on the downturn of where it was in the whole history of things. It had been defeated by the Romans, and so it was not the the center of of everything um, awesome that it used to be. But it still held a great place in society. One of the main things that Athens was known for, even today, is that they had all kinds of shrines and temples and gods and goddesses. Uh, Some people had said that, that it was cultured paganism. So, we, we think of pagans and, and different forms of worship that are godless, but the Greeks refined that. They had cultured paganism, if that's even a term. But I want us to think about the perspective of their distorted view of God that, that they came up with. Notice verse 16. And this gets to the heart of the issue right off the bat. Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and he was deeply troubled by all the idols, and he saw it, that he saw it everywhere in the city. And so right off the bat, Paul was just struggling with just the evil that he saw all around him, that people were, were not honoring the true and living God, but they were bowing down to all kinds of false gods. You can't help but go back to the Old Testament and think of uh, men like Elijah that that stood before a godless pagan society that worshipped all kinds of false deities and gods. And the heartbreak that was there. In Exodus 20, in verses 2 through 5, we read the, the, the Ten Commandments being listed and God giving them to Moses. And in verses 2 through 5, it says, You shall have no other gods but Me, and you shall not bow down to any idols or graven images. And so, God, that was very clearly in the commandments that this should not be at all uh, who we are as a, as a people. We should worship the true and living God. And yet, this group of people, their distorted view of mankind was idolatrous. i want to just listen as I read in Deuteronomy. You can go there if you want. Deuteronomy 32 and verses 15 through 18. Listen to this. This is a warning of what would happen when the Israelites went into the promised land and after they settled in and enjoyed everything that God had given them. This is what uh, was their warning. But Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. <laughs> That's a great picture. But that, this, is a, this is a picture not of, of physically, but of, of spiritually being um, dull. Dull and content with what was going on around them, what what the world had to offer them. Notice verse 15, it says, "...they abandoned the God who had made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. They stirred up His jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked His fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons which are not God." To the gods they had not known before, to new gods who recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had had never feared. You neglected the rock who fathered you, you forgot the God who gave you birth. See, that is the description of the state of, of, of all of mankind when we forget who God is, we become idolatrous. We become worshipers of idols. And let me just say this, our distorted view of mankind, not only in in Israel's time going into the promised land, not only to the people of Athens as Paul is preaching to them, but to us today, we still bow down to idols just like they did back then. They may not look the same, but they serve the same function. And we need to repent and we need to turn away from idols to the living God. We need to stop believing things that aren't true about God and start believing in the true and living God. And so this is our distorted view of mankind. What idols are you bowing down to today? And again, you're going to have to do some thinking because maybe it doesn't look the same as in Paul's day, but we bow down to idols the same way. Um, This may be one of them right here. I'm not sure. How much time do we spend on these stupid things? It distracts. It can be used for great good, but it can also be used for evil. Mankind's distorted view of God continues not only with idolatrous ideas, but with being incredulous, and I don't use that word often, but you'll notice all of my words started with I, and so I thought that was pretty cool. So, whether it's cool or not, just uh, bear with me. Notice verses 17 and 18. The people, as they were listening to Paul, they were incredulous. In other words, they were unwilling, and they were unable to believe something, believe specifically what Paul was saying to them. The end of verse 17 is he was beginning to speak with them in the public square and they all stopped to listen and it says that he was debating with the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers and so he's meeting all these intellectuals and these educated people which was obviously a very big part of the Athenian culture. And when he told them specifically about Jesus and his resurrection, they began to be incredulous. What's this babbler trying to say, these strange ideas that he's picked up? He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods that we've never heard about. They were unwilling or unable to believe. Something was blocking them, their their views, their experiences, their education. They were incredulous. I want you to note just for a moment the Epicureans and the Stoics. I thought this was interesting. I don't know much about um, these viewpoints, but as I did just a simple uh, bit of research, the Epicureans... Uh, they're alive and well today, just so you know. Uh, they are atheists. They don't believe that there is a God, and their pursuit in life was pleasure, find living and find food. Do we have Epicureans today? Absolutely. Atheists who sought out pleasure, find living and find food. The contrast was the Stoics, and they were not atheists, but pantheists. So they believed in many gods. And and their perspective on life was to pursue personal discipline and self-control. And so instead of enjoying the pleasures of life, they did not enjoy the pleasures of life on purpose. Self-discipline and self-control was their focus. So we could term it this way, Epicureans, they enjoy life. Stoics endure life. Which one are you in, by the way? Do you enjoy life or do you endure life? I think sometimes we fit into these categories, don't we? Um, when, it, when it comes to the end of, of winter and we're ready for spring, we are enduring, right? And we are trying to have self-control. And my wife tells me, just don't complain because it doesn't do any good. So stop complaining about it. You can't change the weather. And, and I, I agree with her, but I can't stop complaining. The Epicureans and the Stoics, they enjoyed life or they endured life, but they were both in desperate need of meeting the one who would give them eternal life. And see, we live in a world that has a distorted view of mankind, that it is both idolatrous and incredulous. They cannot believe, and so they embrace these weird man-made concepts and philosophies that have nothing to do with God. We go on and we see in verses 19 through 21 that they had an intellectual point of view and this intellect often would distort their view of God. And so notice there at the end of, I think it's verse 21, Yeah, Luke gives this sort of parentheses, and he's talking about um, them coming together. and They they would go out to the high council of the city, which, by the way, and you'll talk maybe about this in some of your Sunday school classes, they go out uh, away from the city center to a a large rock outcropping, and it was called the Aeropagus, I think. Aeropagus? I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. But it was, this is the place where the high council met and they would make rulings on different things and depending on the ruling, uh, sometimes on this high rock outcropping, I think some of them went up to the outcropping one way and they returned a different way, if you know what I mean. It was a steep fall to the other side, um, depending on what the high council decided. But so here Paul is there at the Areopagus and he is preaching to them about Jesus and the resurrection and, and so he's... Telling these people, these intellectual, educated people about this, and, and Luke says this in verse twenty-one that he should it should be explained to all these Athenians as well as the foreigners that they that they spent all their time discussing the latest ideas, and I thought thought that was very interesting. That here they are, and of course we think of Aristotle and Socrates, and, and their works are still read and contemplated today. And lots of good thoughts and ideas, lots of odd thoughts and weird ideas as well. But this is the truth. If you can't take intellect and understanding and education and make it or see that it agrees with the truth of God's word, then the intellect or the understanding that of mankind's viewpoints if it doesn't align with scripture, then this is false, this is wrong, this is foolishness. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul wrote to the Corinthians that God chose the foolishness, the foolish things of the world to confound the the what the world would consider the wise things. And this flies in the face, the, the death, burial, and resurrection flies in the face of the intellect of these educated people. Intellectuals often struggle with coming to faith in Christ, and yet when they do, it's awesome because they have a great mind to understand and to communicate God. And so often the intellectuals struggle in their distorted view of God. Two more things briefly. In verse 23, notice, and also in verse 30, we see some ignorance occurring. And often we have a wrong view of God because we are just ignorant they made a shrine to the unknown god as it says there in verse 23 and we'll talk much more about that next sunday but but notice this they were ignorant and they but they knew it they knew that they didn't know all the gods and so they made a shrine to the unknown god in their ignorance they don't know everything and so they gave gave some credence to that in verse 30 paul says or luke says this god overlooked the people's ignorance about these things in earlier times but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. They were ignorant. And so they continued in their idolatry, their worship of other gods, not knowing the true and living God. And we talked about that. We sang about knowing who God is and the beauty that it is. And coming to faith in Christ, we get to know who God is because Jesus is the revelation of God. But apart from knowing Jesus, we cannot know who God truly is. I know we're running late. Bear with me. We started late. But notice, I want you to just note Romans chapter 1 for a moment. We're going to look at this more next Sunday, but as we think about being ignorant, we as individuals apart from Christ, apart from a relationship with Him, we do not understand, we do not know God. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, Paul addresses this concept and he says, But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. They know the truth about God because, notice this, so there is some, the the opposite of ignorance is occurring. They do have some understanding. They know the truth about God because He made it obvious to them. How? Verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have been seen in the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. So even in our ignorance, we have no excuse. And Paul said back in Acts 17 and verse 30, that God was patient in their ignorance in earlier times, but now commands everyone to repent. In other words, you and I, and everyone else around the world, no matter where they're at, no matter what their circumstances may be, because we look at creation and we see a divine creator, God has put it within our hearts. Eternity has been placed within our hearts, and on some level, we know in our deepest, part of our soul, that there is something beyond ourselves and and there is a desire to know Him. And so ignorance can no longer be used as an excuse. Lastly, in verse 32, we see that man's distorted view of God is some of them became downright insolent. In verse 32, as Paul wraps up his preaching there to the high council, some laughed with contempt, and others said, We want to hear more about this later. And so they talked about it. And notice verse 34, some joined him and became believers. Some responded. But many were insolent. They they mocked. They laughed. Have you ever been mocked and, and laughed at because of your faith in Jesus? If you have, then you have joined a a great club which starts with the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus was mocked, and and I want to read these verses as we close today. You see, the world responds in insolence, in ignorance, in in a wrong intellectual view, and so on and so forth. They, They... They respond wrongly to the message of the cross. It's foolishness without the Spirit of God opening their eyes. And I want you to be reminded of what what happened to Jesus before He went to the cross and in this process of being arrested and tried, convicted, and then nailed to a cross. In Matthew 27, it says that they stripped Him and put a scarlet robe on Him and they wove a thorn of branches into a crown and they put it on His head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter, and they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! The people passing by shouted abuses at him, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. They mocked Him then. They mock Him today. And maybe we have been guilty of that at times, but my prayer is, and my command from what God clearly says in His Word is that we need to stop mocking Him, stop being ignorant of Him, and repent and turn to Him in faith. Jesus is the only source of salvation. And we can never stand before God and say, Oh, I didn't know. You do know. You're a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus loved you enough to die in your place. Jude 1.18 says, In the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. This is the ultimate description of mankind apart from God's intervention, changing our distorted view. Maybe we have been mockers in the past, but I pray that today we would turn to faith. In Jesus, that we would confess our sins and that we would honor him. In what ways has your view of God been wrong? Are you willing to go back to verses 24 through 29 and be reminded that this is the God that created us, that doesn't need us but loves us anyway, that wants a relationship with us, that sent His Son to die for us, and this is the God that we should look at with a high and lofty view to think like Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And as we leave this place, that it would never just be up here, well, God is a high God, He's a holy God, He's a righteous God, but that it would go to our heart and that we would make and allow it to change us. That we would, we would talk to people differently because God has changed us. That we would go tell our, our neighbors and strangers about faith in Jesus and Jesus and what He did for them because of what God has done for us. The view that changes Our eyes, God wants to change theirs as well. Father, we pray that as we sort of leave it there and anticipate what You're going to say to us next Sunday, I I pray that we would begin to have a higher view of You. I thank You for these dear people. I thank You for their example and, and their love for You their love to tell others about You and that uh, many of them have a high view of You. I pray that they would continue with that and that they would grow deeper in their understanding of You and they would allow that to affect their relationships and their their motivation to go tell those that, that the have a high view of You. That they would be willing to even be mocked for their faith in Christ so that someone would come to faith to be born again. Lord, we pray that would be the case for any person here that has never put their faith in Your Son that they would repent of their sin and their need of being cleansed and forgiven, turning from unbelief to belief. God, do that work that only you can do, and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.